you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride, thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget, we invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. On today's episode, we're going to answer a few of your emails, which you guys have been sending me all summer long. Uh, yes, we're finally getting them today. Speaking of summer, before we move on here with the show, I just want to apologize for the lack of podcast last week. Uh, the family and I took a little summer vacation down on the Jersey Shore. I haven't done that in years and years. And uh, as I'm sure you all know, vacationing in the COVID era is uh, certainly a challenge, but we got it done. Had a great time. Thanks to everyone who sent in their well wishes to us. As for the question I get the most from listeners, and I'm not going to just I'm not going to ask a specific one from a specific listener here because I get so many of them, um, which is if and when there will be a season eight. We've discussed this uh, season eight of the Curse of Oak Island. Now, there isn't all that much more to report at this point. Nothing I've learned, uh, but I always like to sort of recap this when we're here. Um, what I can tell you is this: they are indeed filming, and with a good sized film crew, from what I can see. Um, also, it appears from some good reporting that both Lagina brothers have either been to the island at some point this summer or perhaps are even there as we speak. Uh, obviously, all the Canadian members of the team are there. Doug Kroll, Laird Niven, Steve Guptill, et cetera, et cetera. They're all working on the hunt, and I assume filming and working on the show as well. It seems that so far this year, there's been a lot of drilling in the area of the Money Pit and 10X, but no work in Smith's Cove, which isn't surprising since the Coffer Dam was removed last year. And also, apparently... No work so far in the swamp either. Uh, now, of course, it's only August, so that could change um, before the season comes to an end, the, you know, up the summer up there, the hunt season. I also have to say this. I'm not someone who cares a whole lot about this kind of thing, you know. I'm more than happy to wait for the show to air, but whatever I do happen to learn along the way, my poking around, people writing me and that kind of stuff, um, you know, anything I learn about what's going on up there, I'll be happy to mention here on the show for you. Up to the point of recording this episode, I've not yet heard anything from the History Channel or from Prometheus about the official release date for the show um, for season eight. I also don't think they've officially said they're going to have one. <laughs> uh, I'm just throwing out an absolute guess here, but from what I could imagine, um, if there is a delay in the show's airing, considering how much filming is being done right now, I'm not as convinced as maybe I once was that any such delay will really be all that significant. Meaning I will, um, I do imagine that the show would begin airing in uh, some form or another during the fall or early winter of 2020. With people home now more than ever, uh, ratings have been very, very good for television networks across the board. So a delay could be pretty costly for the History Channel. Again, I'll do my best to keep you posted on anything like this. Now, we mentioned the Canadian members of the cast before. Let me report this amazing little piece of news from our favorite corner of Nova Scotia. Uh, I'm sure you all remember diver Tony Sampson. We're going to talk about him again later in the show. Uh, Tony has been sort of what I would, I guess I would call a part-time cast member of the Curse of Oak Island crew, having appeared on a number of episodes over the years, including, if you recall, at the very beginning of season seven when he was diving in the swamp. Samson is from New Zealand. Uh, he says he's from New Zealand and England, so I'm not really sure what that means. But 
Uh, be that as it may, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, he lived for many years in New Zealand. He was a marine engineer in the Royal uh, New Zealand Navy. He was a detective in the New Zealand police for a while. And he later sort of followed this passion of diving and became a dive instructor and he worked working in Canada. Uh, he's the guy who pulled up that huge plank of wood out of the swamp a couple of years back. You always see that that uh, that scene, you know, in, in replays of the swamp. Um, it really caused quite a stir when he did that. Besides being an incredibly accomplished diver, um, Tony is also cashing in, if that's the right word, a bit on his Oak Island fame these days. I mean, I, I, cashing in sounds like a bad thing, but he really isn't, and, and not by any means. Uh, he now owns and operates a company called Salty Dog Tours, which does great little boat tours around Oak Island on a small pontoon boat. This, folks, is without a shadow of a doubt a bucket list item for me. Uh, can you imagine how great it would be to be one of the maybe dozen or so people boating around Oak Island on a pontoon boat with Tony Sampson at the helm telling us all of his stories? I mean, he must have some just fantastic little tales to tell for all Oak Island fans. Besides, he seems like such a great guy, although sadly I haven't met him myself. Uh, Tony, if you're listening, anytime you want to do an interview... Or take us on a boat ride. Just just drop me a line, man. Diggingoakisland.gmail.com. Just saying. Uh, last week, Tony made perhaps his greatest contribution ever to the Mahone Bay area and to Oak Island. While captaining one of these tours that I spoke of here, a passenger's hat happened to blow off, and Tony turned the boat around to go try and fish it back out of the bay. As he did this, folks on the boat spotted something kind of strange bobbing in the water, and as they got closer... They discovered this thing bobbing on the water was actually a man who was fighting for his life. Samson, along with two other guests who were on board, pulled his this drowning, half-conscious guy out of the bay and quite literally saved his life. In an article for the CBC, Samson said, quote, uh, he was getting washed over by the swell. The wind had actually changed in the afternoon, and that's what swamped the small boat. He was actually rolling his eyes, and he was minutes away from death. Thankfully for this you know, really incredibly lucky guy. Tony Sampson was in the right place at the right time. I'll post the uh, television news story to our Facebook and Twitter pages so you can see it for yourself. It's just an amazing and really kind of harrowing tale. Uh, apparently, the little boat this guy was on capsized and actually washed up along the shore of Oak Island. And according to Tony, the cast and crew of The Curse of Oak Island helped get the boat off the rocks and pull it ashore and I think fix it back up and he plans on giving it back to this guy. Uh, with any luck, this little incident of heroism on Tony Sampson's part will be mentioned in, in an episode of season eight. So uh, now you're up to date kind of with the news from Oak Island and let's face it, it was quite the week for news up there, uh, even if it didn't include treasure. Uh, let's come back after the break and we're going to answer your emails. And don't forget, if you would like to email me a question yourself or a comment for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can send it along to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. So let's begin with uh, two emails from our friend Jock. Now, I'm not going to read his emails verbatim because they were really super short. And all Jock basically wanted to do with these was to point me towards two fascinating Oak Island researchers. I guess we can call both of them kind of relatively new in the Oak Island scene, I guess, in the, wor <laughs> in the world of theorists. And I, and I think we can also say they each fall into the skeptical column, at least in one form or another. Um, the first email Jock sent involves the work of a Dr. Stephen Aitken, who is a retired geologist up in Calgary. Aiken Woods was inspired by watching the Curse of Oak Island show to take up conducting his own geological research into Oak Island and the surrounding area. 
And he concludes that the money pit, as well as other underground features found over the centuries of the treasure hunting on Oak Island, are the result of natural formations, namely sinkholes, really. Now, we've most certainly discussed this before, the idea of the money pit being simply a sinkhole. Without having talked to Dr. Aitken myself and only reading his research and conclusions that he posts online, um, I'll say he has some impressive science on his side here, and it is way beyond me. Uh, Jock, perhaps you can explain this for us yourself. And on a side note, as we speak, I am working on getting Dr. Aiken on this podcast for an interview. Uh, I think his scientific analysis of Oak Island's underground will be fascinating for all of us. Even if it doesn't explain all the strange stuff surrounding the Oak Island mystery, uh, if it helps with at least this one aspect of the hunt, namely the money pit and the underground area... Uh, I, I think his theory should be examined and we should we should give him the opportunity to do so. No science should be dismissed, especially within the context of an investigation that contains so much speculation and conjecture, really just inherently. I know this. The area around Oak Island is ripe with sinkholes. A simple look into the geological data anywhere uh, around there pretty much backs up any sinkhole theories, at least their potential feasibility. I also know it does not cover the reasons behind uh, things like a layer of coconut fiber extending hundreds of feet just under the surface of a beach up in the North Atlantic. I mean, it obviously doesn't discuss that stuff. The problem is, and just to kind of sum it up here a bit, the sinkhole theory is limited only to the money pit area, not other locations found on Oak Island, like the aforementioned Smith's Cove or even the swamp, Nolan's Cross, you know, on and on and on. I'd also assume it would it would require one to kind of dismiss as lies or, or I guess as exaggerations better um, discoveries that were made in the money pit ages ago. And by that, I mean things like the 90 foot stone, uh, the chapel vault and, and so much more. But. If the sinkhole theory is truly compelling, perhaps going down the road of disproving the other finds is the way this investigation should actually be headed, if that makes sense. Um, and trying to find out why do we have all these things if what we're looking at really is just a natural phenomenon sinkhole. We've got to come to that conclusion. As I always say, we have to be open to all possibilities when it comes to this hunt. Jock also sent me an email asking if I had read or heard about a new book, well, relatively new, called Oak Island Mystery Solved, The Final Chapter by researcher Joy Steele and marine geologist Gordon Faber. Jock, honestly, I have to admit, I have not read the book. I am, however, at least to some degree, aware of the theories presented in this book and have researched those a bit. Um, I've heard both authors speak on a couple of occasions. However, since I didn't read the book and you asked about the book in particular, I don't want to get too far into it, I guess, is the best thing I would say. The idea of their theory, though, is simply this. There's no treasure. There's no money pit. This isn't about hiding valuables or artifacts or anything like that. Uh, their theory is one of a sort of a lost history, I guess what we have to term a secret or at least clandestine um, 18th century British naval industrial site, which is called a tar kiln or sometimes referred to as an earth kiln. It's used to make naval stores. Uh, naval stores is really just kind of like a tar. But back before copper sheathing became the accepted way to keep barnacles and worms and other kind of fouling from the bottom of a, of a ship, tar, in one way, shape, or form, was sort of ubiquitous in almost all of these kind of naval applications. Oak Island was, according to these, to the conclusions of these theories a secret site used by the Royal Navy to produce just such tar. 
why it's secret and all that stuff I won't get into. It's on my list of Oak Island books to buy and read for sure, although I have to admit I am kind of innately turned off by such hubris that we see right there in the title. I mean, mystery solved, really? Uh, (laughs) That's a lot of confidence based largely in what they call in their... (laughs) When they speak, at least what they call secret government documents and air quotes, you know, they claim they have official and indisputable documentation that backs up all their claims. But really, how many theories say the same thing? I mean, our friend James McQuiston has mountains of documentation, and we've all seen on the show the mountains of documentation Zena Halpern had, right? The fact is, if you're claiming to have solved this mystery, Solved it. You know, you better deliver on that claim. My guess is that uh, in the long run after reading this book, it is another theory, perhaps a good one, perhaps a well-documented one, and that the mystery truly isn't as quote-unquote solved as the title might suggest. Also, the few times I've heard the author speak, they have this tendency to, uh, and they're not the only ones that do this, not unique to them at all. It's true for a lot of theorists. Um, They have this tendency to just sort of dismiss things reportedly found in the money pit as lies or legends. The aforementioned Dr. Aiken just doesn't even deal with them. His, his, his idea is based entirely on geology. The rest of the stuff that's there, hey, that's for, you know, that's for archaeologists and stuff to figure out. But he's going to talk, he talks just simply about the geology. But when everybody comes up with, an, a lot of people at least, come up with other theories, especially skeptical-leaning ones, uh, for what this might have been, even if it's not a natural explanation, but something else, and there are a lot of those kind of theories out there, they tend to use this convenient way to dismiss things um, that have been found as part of the Oak Island treasure hunt, but just don't fit into their theory neatly, if that makes sense. But anyway, like I said, I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to withhold my judgment here for you, really, even though it sure sounds like I didn't withhold any judgment there. I really am. If any of you, uh, if any of the listeners out there have read the book, and you want to chime in on it, what you think, um, please feel free to send me an email and do just that. And we'll follow up with this in the future. You know? Thanks again for reaching out, Jock. It's always great to hear from you. Uh, our next email comes from Rob in Vancouver, British Columbia, who writes, Hi, Dave. Love the podcast. It's the best on the block. You'll see what that means in a minute. Uh, a question I'd love you to tackle promise Rob has a bad pun coming up here, so hang on, uh, is about the original story from Reader's Digest. And then he quotes it, on a knoll at one end of the island, he noticed an odd depression. Above it, on a sawed-off tree limb, hung an old ship's block and tackle, end quote. Get it? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that's what the Reader's Digest article says. Uh, Then he asks, why would a depositor spend all the effort of digging the money pit, carving the 90-foot stone, rigging the booby traps and flood tunnels, only to leave evidence in the form of a block and tackle, as well as an obvious depression in the ground. Uh, the tree from which the block and tackle was hanging seems entirely in the way for such a large earth-moving project. Surely they would have needed scaffolding, cranes, and the like, not just a branch of a tree. I, I always take in these details in the story that the boys saw lights and workings in the island as indicators that the works were done quickly and shoddily. The opposite of the sort of master masons digging tunnels, paving swamps, and building man-made beaches. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Is the story wrong? Was Reader's Digest embellishing? Or were the boys just bored and looking for distractions by telling tall tales? First of all, the depression left in the ground, let's just dispense with that, if indeed there was one. 
uh, can easily be explained. Uh, dig a huge hole. Dig a big hole. My dog does this in the backyard all the time. Dig a big hole, and then I have to fill it back in. Well, after that happens, look what happens. Sometimes a little depression forms as the dirt begins to settle over time. And I have to go back again and sort of fill in a little bit more later on to kind of even it out. Uh, you know, meaning that it might have looked, if, if this was really done as part of the, of the depositing of a treasure, it might have looked perfect when the depositors finished filling the hole back in, just like it always does when I fill my dog's holes back in. Uh, but then the depression formed sometime later as the loose dirt began to sort of come together and push together and be pushed down by the rain and the like. Now, it's not hard to explain, but that's admittedly a small and almost sort of insignificant part of your question. So let me address the rest. The, the depression seems to be just sort of a side thought for you. So let's tackle it. See what I did there? Two can play this game, Rob. Uh, why would they leave a block and tackle? Honestly, for no good reason I could think of, really. Uh, you go through the trouble of covering all your tracks, including any evidence that you ever stayed on the island. We're going to get to that subject in a bit, too. But except... You leave a block and tackle hanging from the tree right over where the treasure was? Oh, come on. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. But I think you're already on to your answer a little bit here in the way you're sort of um, positing this question to me. The Reader's Digest article was written by a guy named David McDonald, a writer from Nova Scotia, and it was published in January of 1965, I think. Uh, it basically borrows from some of the first published accounts of the discovery of the money pit, including sources like our often discussed Liverpool transcript article. And then he also throws in a healthy portion of sort of local legend and intrigue that just kind of always followed the story, you know, and then he comes up with a very compelling, if not entirely accurate, version of what's happened on Oak Island since 1795. It might not have been the best researched and most factual article ever authored about the money pit, but man, you can't argue about how compelling it was for readers. I mean, considering the effect it had on so many people involved in the hunt right now, would we even have a Curse of Oak Island television show if not for David McDonald's uh, work in 1965? I'm not so sure. The issues with the article speak to sort of the same issues we find all over the place with this subject, and it stems from the fact that published accounts and newspapers and the like of what actually happened on, when the money pit was discovered didn't really come out for over a half century after that summer in 1795. And as we always say here on this podcast, history deplores a vacuum. So in the absence of real history and real reporting, what we often get is something that we find later is much closer to legend, you know. Uh, some of the early accounts of the discovery mention the block and tackle, but yet some also don't. Just like some mention those mysterious lights that caused them to, to row out there, but many also do not mention those. You have to remember at the time of the discovery, um, you know, and especially at the time it was being talked about, uh, before it was being researched and written about and pined over by people all over the world, before, this, before the Liverpool transcript article, really, the supposition was that the money pit was a roughly 100-foot deep hole or so where Captain Kidd, namely, <laughs> buried his treasure and then booby-trapped the hole to stop anyone else from getting at it. Uh, Stay tuned, folks. We're going to get back to Captain Kidd's story right down, down the road in a little bit. So uh, don't go anywhere with that. I'll mention that again later. Uh, but that's what everybody thought it was. So if you're going to sort of, uh, I don't know, what's the word, color up the story a little bit with uh, some imagination, 
a block and tackle seems to kind of fit in there pretty well. I mean, it's pretty nautical. It's, it's kind of piratey, right? Rob, truth be told, it's really one of those things, like the story of the dying pirate who helped bury Captain Kidd's treasure and then told people on his deathbed, or the mysterious lights which frightened locals on the mainland, or the ghosts of two fishermen who rode over to the island never to return. Things like that, that I just sort of put in the pile of local legends that were told in the early days of the, right after the Money Pit's discovery, when the only way this story was really communicated anywhere was by word of mouth. No one who was ever part of a professional search of the island claims to have found this supposed block and tackle. No one ever claimed to be in possession of it or anything like that. I'm not even sure I can say with 100% certainty, certainty that the original discoverers themselves actually ever claimed to see it. Or that it just didn't just show up in a story and a tale later on. It just kind of seems like a tall tale added for the purpose of convincing folks of the fact that there was a cursed pirate treasure on Oak Island. Meaning if we thought it was the Ark of the Covenant, we might not have done that. We might have instead had a, oh, I don't know, a cross lying on the ground or something along those lines. You know what I mean? I wouldn't let it bother you, really. Uh, in fact, one of the early stories said that when the three boys tried to remove the block and tackle from the tree, that it was so old and dried out that it just disintegrated into their hands, which could be true. But it could also be a clever way of not ever having to produce said block and tackle as proof of its existence. <laughs> Thanks again, Rob. Great question. I love being able to talk about those early stories. They really are fun to think about. Our next question is sort of a follow-up from our friend Peter, who wrote us about the same subject the last time. If you want to uh, go back and listen to our last listener questions episode, uh, you'll kind of catch up, but you'll get the idea here. Uh, he writes, could there be a back door? If so, where could it be? Why no looking for it? Doesn't it make sense that one would have been built so they didn't have to dig down 120 feet to retrieve the treasure? Maybe they could walk right to it after rolling aside a boulder in Nolan's Cross? Sure, might be a lot less trouble than a big dig. Where does the water come from for the flood tunnels? If it's from the ocean, how? Where's the source point? Didn't some red dye appear offshore once? They dug Smith's Cove, but I didn't see any conduits that went to the shoreline. If you can identify the source, maybe you could cut off the water supply. Big deal. The water causes cave-ins and led the stoppage of drilling. To me, these are the real-world addressable questions, but every week it's the Knights Templar, <laughs> curses, astronomical theories, etc. That can't be proven except by getting lucky. Thanks again, Peter. Many people, Peter, including the author Randall Sullivan, and I'm sure I've mentioned this, uh, believe strongly in the idea of a backdoor entrance into the money pit. If I'm not mistaken, Sullivan believes that it might be or could be somewhere along the shore, most likely in an area that's now underwater due to the rising sea level that's occurred over the last three centuries. Others believe that a backdoor might be found in the swamp, or perhaps that's what the cave-in pit was. It's a popular theory, and to be fair, one that's been discussed on the show a number of times. Now, maybe perhaps not enough. The problem is, where do you start looking? The door could be anywhere, and if Sullivan is correct and it is underwater, well, you're severely limited by not only what havoc the sea has reaped upon whatever was built down there, but also by the government. 
One of the things that I've been told, and take this with a grain of salt, but it seems to be true from watching the show too, is that the reason you haven't seen much work being done offshore around Oak Island is because the government regulations almost prevent anything like that from being done, especially on the seafloor. Any log- and logistically, I can only imagine it's a serious nightmare, man. I mean, I mean, searching underground is one thing. Searching under the ocean floor is something entirely different and challenging. So if the door, in air quotes, you're looking for is pretty much impossible to find now, or at the very best, it's on the island itself in anywhere of dozens of possible places, it seems to me what you have to do is find some way to detect the tunnel that leads from this door to the treasure or the cavity that the treasure is in. And isn't that what they've been doing these past few years with the seismic scanning, trying to get sort of a complete picture of the underground? Isn't that the purpose of this technique, to get a sort of a visual idea of this widespread area of the island and possibly see evidence of tunneling or earth moving around or that kind of thing? And haven't they been acting on those leads? I mean, didn't we hear the seismic folks describing a door to a stairway leading to a tunnel or that kind of thing? And if you do find this door, is the tunnel still intact? If so, would that not have been detected on the seismic readings? I mean, I don't know. I, They've, they've talked about this a lot and come up kind of empty here, it seems. I guess what I'll say is I don't think they're ignoring the theory at all. I think it's just part of this whole project of really trying to find potential targets and anomalies using methods like the seismic scanning. And also, people have tried many, many times to find where the water in the money pit comes from. I mean, for centuries they've been trying this. We've seen it twice on the show alone, and certainly Dan Blankenship tried years ago, too. Dan was pretty convinced it didn't come just from box drains in Smith's Cove. I think he felt it was from uh, other parts of the island as well. My guess is we're going to keep on trying to figure this out, because like I said, it's been something people have been doing on this island for hundreds of years, literally. Now listen, Peter, I get your frustration. The Knights Templar, the Shakespeare stuff, that drives me nuts too sometimes. What also drives me nuts is when a theory someone spent years and years researching but doesn't involve the Templars or the Freemasons is given all of about 45 seconds for the theorists to explain. That bugs me to no end. I wish they would talk a lot more about things like the geology, theorists that come in with great history and great documentation and allow them the chance to present that and show that to us. I'm thinking of James McQuiston, who's been given maybe about like four minutes total to uh, <laughs> to show his theory that he has four books on, you know, um, and then spend a lot less time just showing us stock footage of their old Knights Templar documentaries, which is what we seem to get all the time. And if you need a little more reality, you know, I, I mean, I get it. It's it's frustrating, but if you need a little more sort of you know reality to use that word in your Oak Island experience, hey, just subscribe to the podcast, right? Thanks again, Peter. I love your passion on the subject. Keep your thoughts coming. Our next email comes from Matt in Pennsylvania, who writes, "Hey, Dave, welcome back. Uh, glad you and your family are doing well during this difficult time. I have a couple of things to run by you, if you don't mind. I have a question about the alleged treasure on Oak Island, and wanted to get your thoughts." One of the things that I have been thinking about recently is the effort that must have gone into the construction of the money pit. I think we can both agree that that it would take weeks, if not months, to deposit the treasure in the money pit and construct the drains on Smith's Cove. My question is simple. Where is the evidence of a homestead or campsites where the depositors lived during this construction? There must be some evidence of a settlement, even if it was not permanent. 
The fact that a settlement has not been found tells me there is nothing buried in the money pit or the treasure was buried long ago in the past, pre-18th century, and the evidence simply has not yet been discovered. Sincerely, Matt from Havertown, PA. Matt, that is the very question that has puzzled researchers for decades. This has to be at least a fairly uh, large group of people that did this, right? And by large, I mean um, it couldn't all be done by two or three guys. I mean, that would have taken them years and years to do that. So we're probably talking about, I don't know, at the very least somewhere around 20, right? You're right. At least, probably more than that. Uh, does that seem like the right number, you know? I mean, it had to be a, a somewhat significant group of people, right? Uh, no one knows for sure, but I think we can accept as a logical assumption that there had to be more than just a couple of people. And even if these guys aren't building homes in the island with foundations and the like, um, you know, something substantial to live in while they work, one would imagine they're still at least, I mean, at the very least, burning campfires at night. And if so, as far as I know, Archaeologists would have found evidence of that by now, but so far, nothing. Now, let me give you the most popular theory among Oak Island believers that answers this quandary in particular. Imagine whoever this was who came to Oak Island did so with the express purpose of covering their tracks, you know. These aren't rude pirates, but calculating men, oh, I don't know, like the Templars (laughs) or the followers of Francis Bacon. Uh, They came here with a well-thought-out plan, and part of that plan was to hide something forever and to hide their tracks. So instead of building homes or even living on the island at all, they did was simply live on the ship and only ferried kind of on and off the island every morning and every night so they wouldn't leave evidence of their time there. Because what we do have here on the island, what we have found, what archaeologists have found, uh, as far as evidence is concerned, is simply evidence that someone came through the area. Things like buttons, jewelry, coins, and the like. Someone was here with those things in their possession and dropped them, but yet we don't have evidence of these same folks actually inhabiting the island in any fashion. Strange, but I guess at least somewhat explainable, although I have to say I'm not really sold in that whole living on the boat explanation, but it makes sense. It's a great question, Matt. Like I said, you're on the same path as many researchers here and on the same path as Laird Niven is too, if I'm, if truth be told. I mean, quickly take a look back at the theory of the tar kilns again that I mentioned before. Part of the one of the questions I have is are we saying that these people came here, built this huge industrial complex, worked here for how many Lord knows how long, and never built a home for themselves or burned a campfire in the same place? It's just one of those questions that I really think any theory needs to answer because it is a puzzle. All the best, Matt. Great to hear from you. Our next email is from Corey, who writes, A few seasons ago, when drilling in the money pit, the crew thought they hit something, the chapel vault, and theorized the drill pushed the object deeper off to the side. Last season, the crew recovered the Canadian toonie that Marty threw down one of the boreholes a few years before. Marty then says there must have been a lot of underground movement. What is your take on this? How can there be such movement, uh, so much movement underground and not be noticeable on the surface? Are there things floating around in the underground body of water or quicksand-like substance? Thanks for your work on the podcast. Really enjoy it, Corey. Uh, thank you again for listening, Corey. Okay, first and foremost, let me say this. 
Uh, the question you ask here is absolutely something the team seriously and scientifically needs to address this year. The show has a tendency to offer up big things, like finding the Toonie 10 feet away, uh, and only just, 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 just to see them sort of fade into oblivion in future seasons. I really hope that that doesn't happen here. And from what I can kind of deduce about the work being done on the island this summer, it appears they are not ignoring it. At least that's, like I said, the conclusion I'm drawing here. There's a lot of drilling going on, which leads me to believe that maybe they are trying to find uh, and maybe follow any kind of possible underground movement of whatever's there. Let me also say again, I'm not a geologist by any means, so remember you have a podcaster answering this question here, but from the limited reading I've done on the subject, the simple answer is yes. There are underground bodies of water that move through the earth, and such geology is rather prevalent underground in Nova Scotia. So sure, this could be a natural occurrence, but it could also be the result of decades and decades of destruction and general havoc being wreaked under the surface in the Money Pit area. Huge, heavy equipment, excavations, you know, giant cans being forced into the ground, and also the collapse of thousands and thousands of pounds of wood and tools into the oblivion down there. Uh, there that's all part of the problem we're, we're, we're facing here. And that's, again, just three of the many examples of what we're dealing with. Don't forget, if this entire story is all to be believed, then someone decided to run a tunnel full of seawater from the beach to this area. And that tunnel, as well as the various shafts dug, have all been flooded and drained and flooded and drained over and over and over again for decades. All of this adds up to, at <laughs> to put it lightly, a huge geological jigsaw puzzle. And having said that, this is also why I do not think the team is ready for anything like a big dig just yet. They need to get a better idea of the pieces in this puzzle first before starting such an enormously expensive project. We've talked many times about Robert Dunfield and his attempt at a big dig. It came up empty. Now, you could say that's because there's no treasure there. But you can also say it's because he was guessing at where he was going and didn't have a good picture of where to do this dig and there that and therefore just wasted all of his money and ended up destroying any chance he had of finding uh, if continuing the search really. It appears that what they might be doing this summer is trying to get that better picture. So, Corey, I think what I want to do here is punt this question a bit and really wait to see what season eight brings us. Thanks for the email. On to the next. Jim asks, I remember seeing in a preview Jack Begley down in a hole yelling, it looks like stairs going down. Never heard anything about this on the show. Am I remembering wrong? Thank you for all your hard work with the podcast. It's awesome. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate that. Um, Remember when I said the curse of Oak Island has a tendency to offer up big questions one season, only to see them fade into oblivion in future seasons? <laughs> well, they often do the very same thing from trailer to season all the time, too. In fact, the trailers are almost always something of, uh, you know, a viewer fake out, really. You know, the most frustrating example is we never really got to see whatever that giant industrial looking thing being pulled out of a hole by a crane was, you know. Um, and we never got to really see what Jack was talking about. I can't recall for sure if we saw that scene of him saying that in an episode um, or if we didn't. But I know for certain what we didn't see was anything approximating an underground staircase leading down into the earth. 
you know, for another example, remember Marty in that same trailer saying something like, it's all true, all of it. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know what to tell you, Jim, other than it can be frustrating. My best advice, don't put too much into trailers. Uh, They're fun to try and pick apart and to look at in preseason, and we will do that here for sure. But just keep in mind, they're really designed expressly for getting you excited to see what's coming, and they're not really designed to give you an idea of what's going to happen. Thanks for the email. And finally, we have an email from our friend Steve who writes, Hey there, hope you're enjoying a well-deserved, relaxing summer. I've enjoyed the historical episodes that have followed the end of the current TV season. I'm totally dressing up as Captain Kid for Halloween. (laughs) At such a time as you review listener mail, I'll throw out there that it'd be really interesting for the Fellowship to return to exploring the area around Mahone Bay. As you know, the current season ended with proclamations around potentially gearing up for the big dig in the money pit. But my mind goes back to things like the potential offshore flood tunnel feeders discovered when Dave Blankenship observed ice holes in 1979, somewhat supported by the Laginas throwing dye into the boreholes and observing dye in the water on both sides of the island. Uh, Also, the odd underwater artifacts like the triangular stone that appears to point to the money pit and uh, the role of some of the findings on Apple Island and Frog Island. I believe this is tied into some of Dr. Travis Taylor's research. With all the focus on the big dig in the swamp, Seems like there might be valuable data lying just offshore. Forgotten. Keep up the great work, Steve. Steve, thanks for the email. Speaking of Captain Kidd, uh, that does sound like a great costume, by the way. Um, I mentioned this before. We are. I'm currently working on part two of the life and times of that famous pirate. Um, so stay subscribed to the podcast for the uh, for that episode in the coming weeks. I, I said in part one, which you can go back and listen to, that I thought it was going to be a two part series. But the more and more I read about this guy, the more and more it looks like it might be more than that. I don't, I'm not no, <laughs> I don't know for sure. We shall see. Anyway, Steve, on to your questions. Okay, I agree wholeheartedly about your idea of looking into potential off island evidence. The problem is the challenges presented by logistics with that stuff. The issue is. Uh, Well, there are a couple of issues. We mentioned a couple of them already. But for one, they don't have ownership of Frog Island or Apple Island to do with whatever they please. And I think that's kind of prevented them from being able to do any serious search over there in the past. I'm also not convinced they believe there's anything to seriously search over there. For instance, back in season six, after Dr. Taylor, who you mentioned here, presented his star map theory, which includes uh, Apple Island as sort of a point of interest on his map. Jack Begley and Gary Drayton had Tony Sampson ferry them over in a boat to uh, this small little island to metal detect on the beach. Drayton came up with some interesting hits, and he seemed kind of excited about them, but they couldn't dig on them due to a lack of permitting over there. Now, that was like two years ago. So can we conclude that perhaps they weren't able to get those permits? It's hard to say since they never really followed up, or at least they never showed us, the viewers, any kind of follow-up. The same thing goes for that triangular stone you mentioned that was found on a sonar scan a couple of seasons back and I think talked about across a couple of different seasons. If memory serves, they were unable to do much with it because the government heavily regulates what you can and can't do on the seafloor. Now, I'm not sure why they didn't dive down and get some good photos of it. Who knows? Having said all of that, absolutely one of the most frustrating things for me about the Curse of Oak Island television show has been their seemingly disinterested attitude towards these ice holes that you mentioned, which is a fascinating thing. Let me explain if you don't know what we're talking about here. Back in 1979, and then again, I think in 1987 or towards the end of the 80s, the winter got so cold up there that the entire bay around Oak Island froze over solid. 
At the time, Dan Blankenship and his team were pretty aggressively pumping water out of Borehole 10X, which they were working on. That was really Dan's sort of signature project was 10X. And while they were doing this pumping, the team and Dan happened to observe four um, what looks like almost perfectly round holes in the ice about 200 yards off the beach, the only ones of their like, you know, the only ones of their kind, off the south side of the island. Now, what I'll do is I'll post some pictures of it on Facebook and Twitter uh, if you haven't seen this before so you see what I'm looking at. Now, the pictures are a little difficult, but you really get an idea of what we're talking about here. It's an incredible and unusual phenomenon, to say the least. And for whatever reason, it's basically been kind of ignored by the show. As far as I know, no one has ever come up with an answer for this. There's nothing. If they did dive on there, they didn't find anything. And I know Dan certainly explored the idea, but it remains a mystery to this day. And I have no idea why they would just not think about it. I'm also unaware of any natural explanation offered up, but if you guys out there know of any, please send it along. Steve, I can only hope that one day someone dives in this area. I mean, look at the picture. You can see what the area is. Get down there with a high-res camera and, and, and try to find out what this might be all about. Maybe we'll get some of that this season as they're looking to poke around at this kind of stuff, but I wouldn't get my hopes up. We've been waiting years here. Um, anyway, end of rant. Uh, thank you for the email. Thanks to all of you for sending in your emails. Uh, as I always say, this is my favorite part of doing this podcast, reading and talking uh, to you guys, my fellow Oak Island enthusiasts. And don't forget, if you would like to send me an email for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. So that's going to do it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Please subscribe to the show uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, it really helps if you put in a rating and review on iTunes. I think you can do that in other places, but certainly on iTunes. It helps get the word out on the show, gets kind of more ears to the show, and that's always a good thing for us. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find us at Digging Oak Island. Remember, it's Digging, D-I-G-G-I-N. Give us a like there. That would be much appreciated. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, and you, you can either send them directly to me through direct messenger on either one of those two social media sites or, of course, the email diggingoakisland at gmail.com. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.